catch them in the act or what? You know what I'm talking Oh, did we catch them in the act? They are very embarrassed. They never thought they were going to get caught. We caught them. Hey, we caught them. Oh, it's so much fun. We're like the great sleuth. So what caught caught them? Is he talking about uh, the FBI working with the Obama administration to apparently illegally surveil U.S. citizens? Is that what he means? I think so. Yeah, I think he is. Well, we're going to ask Mike Rogers about that in just a minute. He's the former chair of the House Intelligence Committee. He's also a former FBI special agent, and I know he takes great pride in that. So he knows about about as much about it as anybody can possibly know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Subject to the lens of his opinion, certainly, which we'll try to uh, determine. Mike Rogers coming up in a moment or two. So a quick uh, music freak note while we wait for him to appear. Unless you have something burning there. Are you burning? My stomach is. Really? Not exactly sure why. You got the Galapatron? No. Been taking a lot of of Tums. Was that Mike right there? I got a great uh, music story coming up for you, uh, Dead fans especially. That's a good story. It's not a great story. Yeah, Grateful Dead fans. Yeah. Uh, please welcome to the show uh, Mr. Mike Rogers, as we mentioned moments ago, former Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, former FBI special agent, also did some talk radio, I believe. That's right. Uh, Mike Rogers joins us. Sir, how are you? Gentlemen, next to you guys, I was nothing more than a ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, may we call you Mike? Mike? Please do. All right, excellent. So listen, Mike, uh, what have you made of the whole Devin Nunez's memo release, uh, the president saying we caught him, we caught him, the upcoming Schiff release, Adam Schiff on all the cable shows making all sorts of outlandish claims. You, as a man of wisdom and experience, where are you on all this? Well, I'm very, very concerned, candidly. So the the one place that we had on Capitol Hill that was supposed to be uh, nonpartisan or at least bipartisan was the intelligence community. And I'll tell you why. You know, as chairman... You have access to the most sensitive information that the government, uh, you know, involves itself in. And there's only four people uh, between the House and the Senate that get access to it on a regular basis. I didn't know that. Decisions from them. Yeah. And so there's lots of classified information that the whole committees deal with, but then there are some very things. So think about a covert action. So the most sensitive thing that we can do, fraught with peril, all of them, none of them go exactly the way they're planned, but they have really important implications for our national security the, the, the big four, they call them, or the four corners, because I think I got big in Congress, and therefore they said, I said, let's change that. Boom, boom. I need a little drum roll. <laughs> Work with me. I didn't mean big <laughs> We thought you had your own. We were told you had your own drummer. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Work with me here. <laughs> Work with me here. I we're just... sitting here rubbing our chins, expecting, yeah. you know, the heaviest oh, of wisdom. <laughs> You take a left turn into okay. humor, but anyway. So, and I'm sorry. Listen, so, just uh, just so, so people can picture it. That's why I think this, this partisan shooting back and forth. I mean, it's a gunfight now. I'm gonna. I'll shoot my gun. You shoot your gun. We're gonna. It confuses people, and I'll tell you what it does do. And this is really important, which is not talked about a lot publicly. Is the intelligence community will pull back. They will play a hundred questions with you. They will not lie to you. They won't withhold information. But they're not going to tell you everything until you ask the right question and push the right button. And I just think that's not good for the uh, for the long term health of oversight of the intelligence. And they'll and they'll pull back. Why? 
Uh, would you trust any information that you sent up to that committee no. to not be public within about 32 seconds? No, 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 no. Because if, 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 if Nunez feels like he, it helps him or Schiff felt like, feels like it helps him, they go to their friendly cable news channel and immediately talk about it. You know, Mike, it, it, it occurs to me we could talk all day to you probably about you know the constitutional mandate that Congress o- oversee the executive branch like uh, intelligence committees, et cetera, and the realities of that. You know, the the schoolboy version of it, the uh, civ- civics class version of it, and the reality of it. But we probably don't have time for that. That's a hell of an interesting point you just made, though. Oh, yeah. That that is going to be the, you know, the, the lingering effect of this. Is that, that the House, the, the, the big four, don't get the information to even evaluate because they can't be trusted with it. Who was the ranking Democrat when you were the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike? A great guy, a guy named Dutch Ruppersberger. He was a former prosecutor. I was a former FBI agent. We sat down and said, "Listen, if we we've got to get the you know to, to come to conclusions, get together, work out our issues for the importance of the country." And think about the charge you have. You you are one of very few in the country that get to go in there and have the responsibility to do the right thing with no microphones, no reporters, no TV cameras. And so we decided we were going to do it that way. And we we did a whole made a whole bunch of changes to the structure of the committee to do it. And for our time there, uh, you know, we had a very bipartisan, we had a, a budget bill every year. We were able to agree on $6 billion in cuts. Most people don't realize that when I was chairman, where we merged programs, did other things. I mean, so we got a lot done because we decided to work together. And what we said we wouldn't do is put up with shenanigans. So we wouldn't put up with this, I'm going to run to the microphone because this little piece of information looks really good for me. You're going to run to the microphone the next day because that little piece of information looks really good for you. Uh, and I think it worked. We had unprecedented access to the intelligence community, not because we weren't, you know, didn't give them the wire brush treatment. They knew we would, but because they knew that we would be fair and we wouldn't run to the public with every shred of information. Can you imagine? I was briefed in on the Osama bin Laden raid in January when I became chairman. The raid didn't happen until May. I was kept abreast of that thing, including talking to analysts the entire time. Can you imagine doing that today? Well, wow, Mike, you're, you're a fool for not running to cable TV and say, Obama's had this approved for weeks, and he hasn't done it yet. Where is the president? You know, yeah, that'd well, be beautiful. Done all of that. I, you know, we, we, we had lots of doubts. Uh, there was some real internal debates at the time about should we or shouldn't we. And, I, you know, I was part of... Uh, part of that. And so could I have run there and said, oh, my God, they're getting ready to miss the biggest opportunity ever? I suppose I could have. I think it would have been really harmful to the country, and it wouldn't have helped the decision finally to go and get Osama bin Laden. And so, you know, I worry that all of that is probably, well, I don't, it's not probably, it is gone. I know that. I talked to a lot of these folks. Right. Well, and the committee now is just a partisan, uh, these are just partisan campaigns they're not investigations okay getting back to wow, the, uh, that is amazing getting back to the idea of running to the microphone every time you have a useful uh, tidbit of information uh, that brings us to the present day uh, do you think the nunez memo about the uh, fisa court the surveillance etc if you're not following it it'd take too long to reset uh, do you think that was a successful prosecution of the obama justice department or the fbi or or no, even what, a compelling what a compelling case. No, what happens next? So, okay, they, they threw their set of facts out there, which now we're going to have another set of contradicting facts out there. What does that accomplish? What you've done is, you know, a third of America is going to applaud and cheer and say, yes, that was right, and the hell with those people. And the other third is going to say now, oh, that's whatever it is, it's, you know, it's hooey. It doesn't mean anything. 
And so, and then you've confused, uh, you know, you've confused the, the last third of America about, I'm not sure I know what's going on, but it sounds awful partisan to me. That means you fixed nothing. And, you know, they have the way and the tools to do an investigation. And I argue if you believe that the FBI, and listen, I used to be an FBI guy, but if they were mishandling and, and uh, weren't completely accurate with the judge on a FISA application, then bring out the biggest stick you have and give them a whack upside the head. But you don't do it by publishing a memo that, by the way, for the first time, very publicly outs people who were uh, surveilled through the surveillance court, right? Now, what if they're innocent? Now, you can think what you want, Carter Page or George Papadopoulos, but don't, don't they deserve to have all the protections of the FISA court the way it was set up? I argue they do. And so they came out and did something, I think, unthinkable. They disclosed American citizens' names, and then they listed the names of all the people who actually signed the reauthorizations of these warrants, like they and implied that they had done something, maybe not just immoral, but illegal. I just, you know, the abuse of government is bad when the FBI does it, and it's certainly bad when the United States Congress does it. And now we can't tell the difference between what is a substantive, real issue and a political issue. And I think that's the biggest tragedy. Mike Rogers, former Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, FBI special agent. You were the chair of the Intelligence Committee up till 2015. How much information were you guys getting at that time about Russia wanting to mess with our elections? Uh, we were starting to see it. So one of the things that I thought had gone away when I became chairman in 2010 is we really stopped this strategic look at uh, intelligence channels. We were, the committee had become so focused on the counterterrorism mission. Sources were for the counterterrorism mission. And by the way, that's why I was able to, to cut about $6 billion. We were just throwing money uh, at the intelligence community at large on this terrorism problem. And I'm not saying it was a bad thing, but, you know, when, it, when cooler heads prevailed, it was time to go back and cut some money. And I used some of that to say we need to refocus on our strategic threat, which is Russia, China, Iran, and other places. So we saw the beginnings of it. Uh, and again, I'm an old hand at this, but you know the Russians have been doing this a long time. Uh, they tried it in this, uh, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, but they didn't have social media. They couldn't actually touch Americans you know, in their home, in the privacy of their home, in the way they do now. And so what they did is they took all their old tactics so we were always trying to sow chaos, and we watched them successfully do it around the world, uh, Latin America, other places. And they said, you know, well, why don't we use the same kinds of tactics, false stories, you know, pitting one party against another party, pitting one group of, of uh, citizens against another group of citizens. But let's do it uh, using AI bots uh, and trolls uh, and social media and see if we can't stir up some trouble. And, man, have they stirred up some trouble. And they're coming back at us in 2018. And no one should think this is a partisan. They don't care about Trump or Republicans or Democrats. They really don't. They just care about causing as much harm and damage to the United States as they can. Well, says you, according to my Twitter feed, you're a liberal and you're coming for my guns, Mike Rogers. So I don't believe a word you're saying. Please. Yeah, that is. Well, that's the problem. And this is, by the way, this is the problem. And this happens, it happens a lot now. Uh, people will just automatically go after you, and then they'll get these uh, social media, either trolls or or, uh, or bot farms, as I call them, uh, and come after somebody. They can trash your your uh, your reputation in a hurry. And a lot of people, it's affirm, affirmation news twenty eighteen. If they believe, if that if that suits their belief, they're going to believe it. 
And so this is a huge problem for us in America. We're going to have to you know, pull our heads out of our collective backsides and understand as much as we might disagree with the other team, there is a country out there who would love us to implode. And the sooner we don't recognize that, I think the more trouble we're going to have. We're just going to shove ourselves apart. We're going to be at each other's throat. And we're going to take the greatest nation in the face of the earth that was given to us and flush it down the toilet. And I, you know, shame on all of us if we let that happen in our generation. This is the best interview I've heard on the topic. Boy, I hope we can get you on uh, again sometime. We'd be honored. Well, I would be honored as well. No, we'd be more honored. (laughs) (laughs) This is the station that's up in Canada, right? Yeah, exactly. That's it. We can be heard all over the globe. Mike Rogers. uh, Mike, a real pleasure. Seriously, I hope we can do it again soon. I hope so, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks a million for the time. All Jeez, right. how good was that? Well, how how lacking is that conversation um, in, in, well, all of the news? There's a guy saying, no effing way. I would run to the mic just because a piece of information benefited my side, and my Democrat colleague felt exactly the same way. And here's, Because it's too important for the country. Well, that was a charming spirit while it lasted. Here's a key to the whole thing. His co-chair... I had never heard his name before. He wasn't a household name because he wasn't on the cable news all the time arguing his point of view. Right. You shouldn't know these people's names. They're supposed to operate, you know, with, with the, the blind scales and the blindfold on and all that sort of stuff. That's what they're doing, mm-hmm. not becoming stars. And then once you end up on the cable news shows, I think you probably start to get the whole, you're getting lots of hits on your Twitter. Good job today, giving them hell and all this sort of stuff. And you start to become a media star. And sure. You fall yeah. in love with that whole thing. Yeah. God, we're in a bad spot. By God, but this is a tight spot. Mm, well said. <laughs> and and boy, and how about that point? I didn't realize only the chairs of the two committees got all the info, the real info. So you got four people that's getting that info, and now they're not going to get it. Because the FBI, the CIA, NSA, they're going to say, we can't trust these numbnuts with this stuff. You might get it eventually, but you got to pry it out of them. So there Which goes, is not a healthy state of affairs. No, so there goes the oversight by we the people. Because our elected representatives can't look at the stuff because they can't be trusted with it. Nice. God, that's a bad, bad deal. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show. I make my living off the evening. This is Armstrong and Getty. The Voice of the West. the interview with mike rogers i thought it was fantastic god if we could have him on regularly during because this is going to be the story for the next months or year and a half barring something insane happening yep and he knows so much about you know a lot of the different aspects of it we also got texts like you guys are so naive it's pathetic right okay but maybe i am i don't know but uh, i thought that was really you are i'm not i'm grizzled (laughs) and world world weary right okay that's fine you know, it's funny. It doesn't even bother me anymore that much. It's just, it's like, you know, used to, when I played high school baseball, sometimes we'd show up to a field and it was just crappy. It's poorly maintained, rocky and that sort of thing. And man, it was so disappointing. Make you so mad 
And four innings in, you got to win the game. So the fact that everybody's so whipped up and angry and partisan and, and live in their own echo chambers and anybody who's even like 30 degrees to the side of that is an idiot or a libtard or a... Or a, or a, you know, a fascist or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't even bother me anymore. What was it? Probably, t- you know, it's probably, I've started drinking at work, which is really awesome. kind of evened me out. You know, a lot of people are hesitant to cross into that territory. Mm-hmm. They, I, I move my drinking from home right. or restaurants to work. But right. once you cross the line. Or from, you know, afternoon to 6 a.m. Once you get there, you think, hey, uh-uh. this isn't so bad. Smooth sailing for a while from what I've read. <laughs> So a very short story and then a a question. So uh, Judy and I actually went uh, out to a concert last night on a Monday night. I know it's insane. Um, I can't even imagine. We saw we saw Lyle Lovett and uh, Robert Earl Keane do an acoustic thing. Just two of them on a stage, nine hundred seat theaters. Absolutely fantastic. Taking turns playing songs. They're old timey friends, uh, making jokes, telling stories, that sort of thing. And at one point, uh, Robert Earl is telling a rambling story that. References the Grateful Dead once or twice. He asks uh, Lyle, "Did you ever meet Jerry Garcia?" And Lyle says, uh, "No." Uh, he said, "No," but I talked to him on the phone once. Um, and he said, "Oh, I know it's not my turn, but can I play a song?" And he picks up his guitar. He says, "Jerry called him and asked him to play on the dedicated album back in the '90s to raise money for the rainforest." Played and stuff. "Friend of the Devil," I think. Yeah, indeed. And he started playing this achingly beautiful acoustic version of "Friend of the Devil," and I, I about wept, uh, achieved orgasm, and uh, and <laughs> wow. filled my pants. I mean, That's... it was just it was a beautiful moment. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. I was unbelievable. And, you know, that was the second show in a row I happened to have seen at that theater that I desperately, desperately wanted, like, a recording of. And is there some, like, really good secret website? Or do you just Google that show and that date, and people can get your recordings and download it from YouTube or something like that? I just... I used to go to I, a... I, I, it seems so crazy to me in the current state of the world, and this is my ultimate point... I know this has to do with lawyers and record companies and publishing rights and the rest of it. How have we not worked out? Because it's impossible to estimate. It's impossible to overestimate how much money would be made at this. You're walking out of a show. You found it transcendent. I mean, because the last show I saw at this theater was. It was one of my favorite musical experiences of my entire life. You've got that feeling. And since this is all digital and can be zapped around practically at the speed of light, how's come there isn't a booth on your way out where for $30 you can buy a recording of that show? Right. Boy, and they'd get a lot of people who were drunk oh. and all hyped up from the show who would buy why it. Why are you think, looking at me? Later they'd think, why did I buy this? It was okay. Well, right. Well, right. It was great. But on those yeah, moments where yeah. it was just musically exquisite, why has that not happened yet? Or it doesn't seem like, I don't know, I... I don't seek it out, but it doesn't seem like bootlegging has improved that much, and it should have with digital equipment and everything being smaller. And Yeah, I've seen some really good stuff, but of course, you know, with the dead, it didn't matter because they encouraged it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good idea. I remember sitting next to a guy one time at a concert who had a microphone cord going up his arm, up his neck to his head, and a little microphone on the bill of his hat. <laughs> That was so funny. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, we got the latest on the undulating stock market. Universal basic income about to launch on the West Coast. And why lawyers predict a wave of divorce this year. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Yeah, Kenny. that's an interesting one. That's good. If you're, Pornography is why. If you're going to get divorced, this is a game changer yep. for, uh, for spousal payments. Yeah, wait till you hear this. Woo. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. 
boy. Quick follow-up hot tip. Um, Apparently there are a handful of bands that have done that. Various bands within the dead orbit. You get a wristband, you pick up the disc after the show for 25 bucks. Pearl Jam and or Dave Matthews Band might have done it. Uh, I think it's really good, a good idea. Man, there's shows I'd pay a lot for. But yeah. yeah, plus they're all trying to figure out how to make a buck. Since the modern world is screwing them. Well, I'm glad to support them. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, we got Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin saying the administration is monitoring the stock market today. As... You remember, Marshall, when he first got the gig, and for a solid week, your cable news authorities were calling him Munchin? Yes. You remember yes. that? Yes. Let's remember that as you listen to them spout their crap. Anyway, the administration monitoring the stock market closely today, as are we here at the Armstrong and Getty Show. What is... I hate playing into the idea that this matters. Yo, you be quiet over there. We down! What? We down! We down! We down! It's down! Sell! Buy! Sell! What is the up to the second market update, Joe Getty? It's more or less where it was an hour ago. Oh, it's, okay. it's bobbling up and down like a percent or two. And yeah. if it's down 200 or up 200 today, what are you going to do? Nothing. That's what you're going to do. Do what you're doing now. Boy, I'll tell you, the president really went after Democrats at an appearance in Ohio yesterday, saying Democrats are un-American, at least the ones who attended his State of the Union speech and did not applaud. They were like little babies. Oh, sorry. And un-American. Un-American. Somebody said treasonous. I mean, yeah, I guess why not? Trump. (laughs) Trump. That is just I'm a game show. Why not? I'll say it's treasonous. The press. Yes, Sean. I heard somebody say the word murder once, too. Let's throw that out there. Murderers. Yes, murderers. Murderers of hope and freedom. I think it's okay because nobody takes it seriously. Right. If you're pretending like everybody does and it's a threat to democracy, you're just silly. It is odd, though. If, If George Bush or Barack Obama had said in a serious tone, I think it was treasonous what the... Democrats did. Yeah, the world or would Republicans go crazy. did. Yeah. Oh yeah, legal experts would be uh, discussing what uh, what you know what what the penalties would be or well they are actually. Does a court look into it or well anybody who's taking this seriously is either crazy or trying to score partisan points. He doesn't mean any of that stuff he says. He doesn't think about it for another second out of it after it comes out of his mouth. Trump also went after House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi for saying Republican tax cuts will be crumbs for many, many Americans. So Nancy Pelosi again said that's crumbs. Well, she's a rich woman who lives in a big, beautiful house in California who wants to give all of your money away. Really? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just so I think he's solid. It. I think he's solid on that. He said the other day, crumbs kind of sounds like deplorables to me, doesn't it? It is a similar sort of thing. Yeah, a few hundred dollars is crumbs. It's what? A woman says every working family says me when I was poor. Are you yeah. kidding? A woman worth a hundred million dollars saying, "Oh, so you got an extra hundred dollars in your paycheck?" Crumbs. I'm pretty happy about it. Polls are up because people are so happy about it. Nancy Antoinette, Stockton, California is getting ready to experiment with universal basic income. Kind of. Giving several dozen families 500 bucks a month for a year as part of a program to study the impacts of giving people a stipend with no strings attached. The SEED Project, funded by a million-dollar grant from a tech group called the Economic Security Project, is going to track what people do with that money and how having a universal basic income affects their self-esteem and their identity. Uh, Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs is going to be coordinating the effort. They were looking for a city 
to pilot what would a basic income look like and what could that do for people's lives. And I jumped at the opportunity. After declaring bankruptcy in 2012, Stockton's been working hard to help its citizens, one in four living below the poverty line. I'll be interested to see the particulars on this because I'm not familiar with them, but one of the principles of the guaranteed minimum income is that you eliminate other welfare programs. You eliminate all the incentives to stay on the government dole. You know you're going to be able to feed yourself, pay your very basic bills, right. and then you can advance your life in any way you see fit. Or, or just smoke it. And, and lay around the house, but you're not getting any more. And and I have a feeling that the Stockton thing is not going to be that carefully controlled an experiment. But like I said, I haven't read about it, so I'm curious. We're hoping to get Charles Murray on in the next couple right. of weeks. He's written the most the long-form piece on this guaranteed income idea. He's a libertarian and is in favor of it. It rubs me the wrong way, obviously, at the right. start. I think you should get yourself esteem from figuring out your own freaking life and making a living. But maybe right. that maybe that's right. not maybe that's not the way to do it. Well, and again, to my conservative and libertarian brethren, what's usually left out of the conversation is the incredible sticky spider web of government benefits and how that yeah. alters people's lives, the way they live them, the choices that they make, right. even their ability to advance themselves. There are harsh disincentives for getting a raise if you're on various programs. Uh, which means you've got to underachieve to, to feed yourself. It, all sorts of distortions, as we say, in the econ business. So Some, this is worth following. Sometimes an incentive to have a kid you can't afford currently. Or to split apart with the person who ought to be your spouse because you're knocking out kids with them. So, Why lawyers are predicting a wave of divorce this year. Boy, I'll tell you, taxes make the world go round. An alimony deduction is going to be erased in 2019 under the new tax plan. The lawyers are gearing up now for lots more divorces this year. Right now, alimony payers get a tax break on the alimony while recipients have to pay income tax on the payments. But after December 31st of this year, alimony will no longer be deductible for the payer and recipients won't need to pay income tax on it. So lawyers are expected to see a flood of divorces this year. So essentially, the alimony recipient and their lawyers are going to go hardcore. Yes. They're going to go, you know, a scorched earth, getting as much as they possibly can. Meanwhile, the dudes are going to say, whoa, 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 I can't deduct this anymore? Forget it. That number we were talking about before is off the table because I can't afford it. And so, you know, the battles are going to become pitched. You don't have much of a choice. They plug it into a computer and tell you what the number is, and you can either move to Mexico or pay it, is generally the way it works. Mm. Is that a state-by-state thing? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. Are you kidding? In a lot of states, there's no such thing. You divide up what you got, and right. good luck with that. Because you're both adults. You're yeah. both free human beings. Right. It's the era of equal rights, et cetera. Right. Um, but it's funny, in some of your progressive states, they believe you little ladies, you can't possibly make a living with your little woman brains. Very weird and paternalistic. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's strange. Anyway, that's that. Some okay. parts of Mexico are beautiful. Point, Lots Michael. of Mexico is beautiful. Much of Mexico is exquisitely beautiful, but the culture and governance of the country are corrupt and dangerous. Hmm, what direction do we want to go? i got so many possibilities. Let's see, I live northeast of here. That's the direction I'd like to go. <laughs> go out of my backyard and throw the tennis ball for my dog to chase. Good times. Uh, a lot of portions of the world are soon to disappear. Countries are just going to go away. 
Good. I've got a list. <laughs> oh, the Olympics starts Friday night, doesn't it? Opening ceremony. Yes. Can't wait. Yeah. And without the weasel Matt Lauer this time around, which I'm looking Finally. forward to. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is Armstrong and Getty. Voice of the West. why economic reporting isn't uh well it isn't better and 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 aimed at the 98 percent of us who who don't trade on a day-by-day basis make that 99.99 percent of us mm-hmm. who don't trade on a day-by-day basis or are ever going to do anything as the stock market goes up and down like this of sure you hear it the biggest drop in history well, first of all that's misleading because as a percentage of was the biggest drop since 2011, but sure. you hear that on the news and you think, what should I do? And why aren't there more people on the radio and TV saying, you don't need to do anything? Check back in a week. If it's gone down this much every day, maybe we don't have to talk. But Agreed. If it's just a blip correction, nothing. Go back to your life. Heather Long is a business reporter and columnist writing for the Washington Post, among others. She's written a piece uh, today helping to uh, or helping folks understand the big drop in the Dow and what's going on. She joins us now. Heather, how are you? Hi, good to be here. Certainly a busy market time. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'm I'm real. I had both my kidneys removed yesterday. I sold them <laughs> in uh, panic selling. I figured I'd sell everything I have of value. Do, do you think that was a good move? Well, that's certainly a very uh, pricey asset, I hear. Oh, yeah, that's a Chinese black market. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a card you can only play a couple of times, though. Might be the only thing going up yesterday. Yeah, so listen, we've been talking today about how it's exciting and it's big and it's scary, the big drop in the Dow, but that anybody following the market is not shocked. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you've invested longer than, say, three years, you've seen you've seen this kind of pattern before. It's just that we all got lulled into that almost stupor of, oh, things are so calm. They're so easy. Everything just goes up, up, up. And we forgot this is what it's like. And <laughs> this is what investments are all about in the stock market. Well, yeah. And um, if you if you have a clue, I was feeling like a guy who'd flipped a coin and it was heads 21 times in a row. And a buddy was saying, flip it one more time. And I'm thinking, no, I didn't. This has got to end. And sure enough, it's it, it, uh, corrected a little bit. I think you're right. I mean, people keep looking for why is the sell-off happening, and a huge part of it is we were just up so far so fast, and we needed we needed to pump the brakes. You know, it's like going 90 miles an hour down the highway. It's fun for a while, but you got to pump the brakes, particularly when there's other stuff going on on the road. And that was what was happening in the market. You know, sure, there's some underlying concerns. We wrote about it about inflation picking up, about wages going up. We got new leadership in the Fed. Congress can't agree on a budget. You U.S. issuing more debt, you know, this almost a trillion dollars in debt this year. All these factors played a role in creating uh, that reality check on the market. But the reality is people were looking for a reason to tap those brakes. Boy, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there. I wish we could get people to get half as interested in the amount of debt we take on every day as they do these stock market blips that don't have any effect on their lives. Yeah, well put. You know, Heather, we were remarking after the State of the Union address that the the federal debt, the deficit, had not been mentioned a single time in the speech, nor any of the post-speech analysis. 
shocking from a Republican president to yeah. not hear any mention of the debt or the rising deficits. Uh, you know, Trump, we all, President Trump, we all like to joke, he said it himself, is the king of debt. <laughs> Maybe, you know, we do seem to be going in that direction again. I had written over the weekend that we're seeing um, almost a trillion dollars in borrowing this year. That's an 84% jump from last year. God. So, uh, you know, so we're definitely going in that direction. Now, you can blame, obviously, the tax cuts played a role. We've talked about on that on your show before. That's, uh, you know, that's uh, we're paying for it through some debt here, through some borrowing. And Just temporarily so. until the economy turns around. And then that's we're, the then that's Congress, the you cynic, you, Heather, then Congress <laughs> is going to be very responsible and not do any more deficit spending. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, you're laughing, and I, I'm supposed to be unbiased, but I, I'm laughing inside my head, yeah. too, on that one. Uh, well, you know, but, but I think, too, we're in the midst of, of a budget debate, and, and right now we've got you know, Republicans want more money for the the, the defense. Uh, Democrats want more money for domestic programs. And so, you know, the compromise is we just spend more. Here's an essay question for you. Are people smart enough to govern themselves? <laughs> I don't think they are, because the fact that, that you can get people's hair on fire over the Dow dropping the most it has since 2011, but you can't get anybody interested in we get we pay like a dollar eighty for a dollar fifty worth of government every single day. Uh, you know, just uh, we're going further and further debt. You can't get anybody to pay attention to that. Are people smart enough to govern themselves? The answer is clearly no. Don't, don't answer. Don't Heather, lie to people. Don't the let him put you no. in these positions. Heather Long, economic correspondent for the Washington Post, is too smart to answer Jack's questions. <laughs> well, I think the takeaway, and you all said it right before I came on, and that is for a lot of people, the best thing you can do right now is basically ignore the headlines. Uh, you know, stay stay invested, particularly if you're not retired yet and you don't need the money right away. Um, right. Hey, know. we were just looking at your uh, Wikipedia stuff here. So you were a Rhodes Scholar, went to Oxford. So you clearly are smart enough to govern, or govern, govern yourself. Yeah, but, but you're you, slumming it here. You got a master's degree in medieval literature. How about that Beowulf? <laughs> For or against? Um, it's, a, it's certainly a great story of overcoming adversity. <laughs> a, Heather, you are well, that's absolutely a great priceless. Hey, a, a, a final note, because uh, you're not quite as old and grizzled as we are it is uh, certainly inflation is a serious thing particularly for people on fixed incomes retirement etc and i don't mean to minimize that but those of us who are old and grizzled enough to remember the inflation of the 1970s and or mortgage rates of 18 plus percent oh i mean the the management of the economy seems to be a lot better these days i mean way better I would agree with you, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> we were debating this in our office, too, that we finally seen some inflation, some potential hints, hints of inflation. You know, keep in mind, the latest inflation read was 1.7%. We're still below 2% inflation, even on wages on Friday. A lot of what kicked off the stock market downturn, heavy downturn, was a read of 2.9% wage growth. I mean, we're not even above 3%. The historic norm is 35 to 4% wage growth. So we should all be hoping that we're going to still see more wage growth. And, and uh, it's a bit ironic that the moment we start to see any signs of it, the, the, the Wall Street starts panicking. Yeah. Uh, that just reminds you the disconnect between what goes on on Wall Street and Main Street. Heather Long's piece in the Washington Post is excellent this morning. It's no The Book of the City of Ladies by Christine D. Pizan, 
but it's a very good piece. <laughs> um, and we'll have a link to it on Armstrong and Getty Radio. Was that, was that an attempt to mention medieval literature? <laughs> that is what that was. Okay. Uh, Heather would be proud. Thank you. <laughs> Heather, thanks a million. It's always great to talk. You too. Take care. Happy trading. Thank Bye. you too. So show How hands. Great is she? Show hands. Did she enjoy that interview, or was she horrified by it? Enjoyed. Uh, show hands. Enjoyed. Horrified. Michael's going with horrified. I, I think she was horrified. <laughs> How about this? Uh, I, She's may, start drinking. May I offer this to the chair? It just went on a little long for Could her. Be. Could be. Yeah, I'm, I'm voting. For she that. liked it, and then at the point she thought, "I got other things right, to do." Right. Right. Yeah. How about that Beowulf? She says, it's a great story of overcoming adversity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's terrific. Uh, Irma Gerd. She is, she is too good for the show. Um, wow, and uh, I, got, I got ideas. Yeah. They're entirely intellectual and professional, by the way, for it, those of you thinking uh, unruly thoughts. It's an, it's, a, it's an honest question. I would like to sit down with smart people to talk about. At this point in U.S. history, the world's oldest democracy, are people smart enough to govern themselves? They are, but if they don't pay attention, it doesn't make any difference. Well, yeah, I think the answer, both modern and ancient, is it is the best of a series of bad alternatives. But it's the, um, the least likely to end in oppression. But, I mean, the State of the Union address was a week ago. No mention of the debt, reforming our entitlements that are going broke. A week later, the stock market drops 4%, whoop de doo and people talk about it all day long like it's right. something. Yeah. It's just frustrating. Who's in charge? We're the adults. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.